Praise the Lord. All right, let's take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Titus in chapter number 2. The book of Titus in chapter number 2. And um, praise the Lord for His goodness to us. And um, I do appreciate the privilege it is to preach this week. And it's been an honor in each chapel service and an honor to be here on this Wednesday night. I thank God for Wednesday night church. Amen. And um, it's precious to my heart. And um, whether somebody rears back and preaches or slows down and teaches a little while, I appreciate it all. Amen. And I thank God for His Word and appreciate the goodness of the Lord. I am thankful for my family. I do. I have heard out of the corner of my ear a little while ago that I am that distant um, family member that will be troubling Miss Grace. And so you'll hear all about me later on in the class. And so, uh, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But I appreciate um, the goodness of the Lord. And thank you, youth choir, for singing. You did a wonderful job. Thank you, congregation, for singing. I told Brother um, Shiflet on, um, I think it was yesterday, um, I said, you know, if you walked into church and you had a congregation that wouldn't sing, the first thing you do is get five people and put them on the platform and try to get the congregation to sing that way. You know what that's a testimony of in the modern church we have, these praise teams and all that? It's because they have a dead church. But if you have a live church, you don't have to have a praise team for a church to sing together in unison. Amen. Hey, when a church is alive, when a church is vibrant, they have something to sing about. And when you get together, you don't just look at the song leader. You're with him and you're ready to sing. Amen. And thank God for it. Amen. And um, I've always been in a church. I'm not saying they were the best singers, but I can promise you this. When it was time to sing, they reared back and let her rip. Amen. And um, I thank God for that tonight and appreciate the goodness of the Lord. And that's my kind of worship. That's my kind of crowd. And I'm still thankful for the old time way. And um, I used to consider myself a young man, but 40 is getting closer. And so I praise the Lord for his goodness anyway and appreciate the goodness of the Lord. Well, let's stand together and we'll read in Titus chapter number two, Titus chapter number two, and let's begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and, ex speak and exhort um, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Lord, we thank Thank you for your word. We thank you for its truths. And Lord, we thank you, dear God, that it has stayed steadfast. And dear Lord, we can take your word and we know that it's been, has it changed, dear Lord. And we thank you, dear God, for its immutability. And I pray, dear God, that you please, Lord, work in our hearts that we'd say that which will be pleasing to you delivers from error. And for what you do, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When you look in the book of Titus, you will find in chapter number one, 
that Paul was interested in Titus putting some things in order. And boy, the church needs to be put in order like never before. Amen. And I thank God for the order that God has given us tonight. And I thank God for it. But you know in the day that we live in, wickednesses on every hand. And we certainly do need to make sure that the church is in order. He started with the preacher. He gave the qualifications of the man of God in the beginning part of Titus chapter number one. And he said that the man of God needs to be in order and so the preacher was put in order. You'll also find that preaching was put in order in the latter part. We determined what we were going to listen to and what we weren't going to listen to. Amen. And I still believe there ought to be distinctives in the type of preaching that we listen to because we realize that there's subversion and there is deception that is going on and I thank God that there's still preachers that have the word of God. They are not here to preach their opinion but to open the word of God and preach his eternal truths. And I thank God that I got the right kind of preaching. Amen. I don't have to go find something else somewhere else to preach about. I've got enough in the word of God to declare. And I thank God for the preaching that is put in order. There's some preaching I'm not listening to. There's some doctrines I'm not listening to. Amen. And thank God for the distinctions that are there. But in chapter number two, he also needed to put in order the people of God. And he dealt with, as the man of God spoke about earlier, how that the elder men, the elder women were supposed to teach the younger and the order that was supposed to be amongst the people of God. And you find that in the beginning part of Titus in chapter number two. But when we come to these verses here, I see that we need to put in order the perspective of the Lord. We need to put in order in per the perspective of our Lord. And in particular, it is this word in verse number 11. And the Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Can I tell you, my friend, there's a lot of people that have not been able to have the right perspective of the grace of God. Amen. But can I say the grace of God is still a Bible doctrine and I thank God for it. I thank God for the grace of God. I thank God for that unmerited favor of God. I thank God that it was shown to the undeserving. I thank God that it was free and unmerited goodness of God. That he sent his only begotten son to declare his will and to redeem us from our iniquities by his death. I thank God it was God giving me what I did not deserve. And I thank God for the grace of God. I believe the grace of God was before the law because Noah saw the grace of God. I believe that the grace of God was during the law because Moses, you'll find the book of Exodus, had the grace of God extended unto him. But I'm thankful in John chapter number one that we find that the grace of God, it came after the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Bible said that when he came, he came to bring truth, that grace and truth and the fullness of Christ brought this grace unto us. You'll find in Romans chapter number five that Paul describes this grace. You'll find in Ephesians two that Paul has, um, explains the distribution of this grace. And Ephesians three, he deals with the dispensation of this grace. And I thank God for the grace of God. Now you say, preacher, where's the church? Missed on the grace of God. Well, there's errors that are in our churches today. In the churches that are across this 
this land, there's heirs that they say that the um, grace of God did not save Old Testament saints. My friend, from the beginning to the end, it is all the grace of God. Amen. From every dispensation, from the beginning to the end, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived on the face of this earth, if they're going to get into heaven, it's going to be by the mighty grace of God, and it was not by the law of God. I'll see Moses one day because of God's grace. I'll see Noah one day because of God's grace. And there's heirs when it comes to the grace of God. My friend, if it isn't all of grace, it's none of grace. But I'm glad I can tell you it is all of grace, and I thank God for that. But not only is there the heirs in that regard, but there are excuses that are made. In a lot of churches, grace excuses people that they don't have to be obedient. What happens is, is God shows his grace to me and I'm walking in grace and I don't have to be obedient unto what God has said and we make excuses for ourselves. And it's a temptation that every one of us deals with. Why? Because God has been so good to you. God has been so good to me. And we go along and boy, sometimes we get along the journey and the grace of God has been so great. And all of a sudden we begin to let a few things slide here and there. All of a sudden, we let disobedience go. Can I tell you, when that starts taking place in our life, we've missed what grace is all about. And when we begin to excuse ourselves and allow ourselves to continue in sin, as Jude tells us, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, which means loose living. And so that is the importance of making sure that we don't take the grace of God and use it for an excuse. But then also there is the grace of God that many have is in regard to entitlement. It is sad, but I believe there's many people that they believe they deserve the grace of God. If you deserve the grace of God, it's not the grace of God. But I'm telling you, we live very piously sometimes thinking that God will continue to bless and God will continue to pour it on and that we deserve God to continue to do great things in our life. My friend, we don't deserve it. And we're just one step away from the wrath of God being poured out upon our life. If it had not been for the grace and the mercy of God that not only has saved us, but has kept us day in and day out, we would be in a mess. Paul said, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Amen. And it is the grace of God that does this work. I'm glad I can tell you that these truths about grace, we've looked at the errors. We've looked at the excuses. We've looked at the entitlement. But my friend, there, I can say this about grace, that it will save the lost, that it will secure the doubter, that it will separate you from the world, the flesh, and the devil, that it will sanctify the carnal. It will surrender us to the will of God. It will submit to the Spirit of God. It will sustain the weary. It will supply the needy. And it will stir the complacent. That's what the grace of God will do in your life. I can tell you today, I can tell you with great assurance, I am no stranger to the grace of God. I'm glad I'm well acquainted with grace in my life. But I want to notice here in verse number 12, he said, that's all introduction. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the world to come? No. In this present world. I'm so glad that God saved me, hallelujah, and didn't, and didn't look at me and say, you know what? Um, I'm going to just let you kind of make it as best you can 
and then we'll get everything straightened out when you get over here. No. God said, I'm going to go ahead and start working on you right now. Thank God. That is the grace of God, that God still is working on us. Can I tell you, as wicked and as good for nothing as we are, that God would save us and say, not only will I save you, but I will do a work in your life in this present world. I'll make a difference on your tomorrows. I'll put something inside of you that will last and that will cause you to be a different individual. That's what the grace of God is all about. But what I want to dig in, and I know there's a lot of preach here, but I'm going to give you... Um, if I can, a little word study, and it is on that word teaching. The word teaching. And when you look at this word teaching, have your Bibles ready, and we'll be turning in just a few moments. When you look at this word teaching, he tells us what he's going to teach us, and um, I don't have time to get into all that, but I'm just going to give you what this word teaching means. This word teaching means to train up a child. It means to educate. It means to discipline. But it also means to chasten or to chastise. It means to instruct, to learn, to teach. So we look at this and you look at this word. And I went through the New Testament and looked at this word. And I was amazed at the different things that I gleaned and considered in regard to the grace of God. The first time you'll find this word in your Bible is in the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter number 23, when Jesus Christ was standing before Pilate. And when he was standing before Pilate, Pilate was scared out of his mind. He was so scared to send Jesus to the cross. He had his wife that said, hey, have nothing to do with this just man. There was a fear. I've had suffered many things in a dream this night because of him. And there was fear that was in his heart. And so what he said was, was this. I will chastise him and then we'll let him go. He said it twice in Luke chapter number 23. Here's the dynamic though when you consider about, consider what is. What did another thing that Pilate said? He looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ gave him a testimony of truth. But I remind you what he said in John 1, that when Jesus Christ came, he came with grace and truth. He came with both of them. Can I tell you, Pontius Pilate was looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, and before him was grace and truth that was before his very eyes. But he went and looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and he made the statement, what is truth? He never understood what the grace of God was all about. But can I tell you, my friend, the power of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was not in the hand of Pilate. He didn't have the power to send him to the cross. He didn't have the power to chastise him. Why? Because we know our Lord laid his life down. Why? Because he was God Almighty. Can I tell you, my friend, he had more power. Pilate that day thought he was the teacher. He thought he was the one that had the power to chastise. He thought he was the one that had the power to teach. But my friend, I've got a God in heaven of the Lord Jesus Christ that has the power and the ability to chastise, to instruct, to teach. And he is the one that is our teacher. And thank God for that. Amen. So we identify who our teacher is, realizing that even though the world has rejected him, and Pilate was a picture of that, they've rejected him. Can I say, he who the world has rejected is my teacher on grace. And I thank God for that. But the second time you find it, I find in these things an inspiration of this teaching. Do you want to be taught? Is there something inside of you that you want to be instructed in grace? Do you want to know more about the grace of God? 
Why would I want to be taught in the manner of grace? Why would I want to be instructed and go further? Well, next time you find the word um, teaching is in the um, book of Acts, chapter number 7 and verse number 22. The Bible says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That word learned, there's the same word as you have in Titus chapter number 2 as the word teaching. And he was there and he said, Moses was learned and he had all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But the Bible says that he was mighty in words and in deeds. Now, we'll go back to the Old Testament. Last time I checked... Moses was one that was scared to death to go back and stand up before um, the Egyptian Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. He said, hey, can we let Aaron go on my behalf? I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. And we get all the way over here in the book of Acts. And the Bible says that he was learned, that he had been taught, but there was another teaching that went on that made him mighty in word and in deed. I'm telling you, my friend, when it comes to this thing of, of living for God and doing for God, can I say there's not enough boldness in any one of us to be the Christians that we ought to be to open our mouth to do what we're supposed to do outside of the grace of God. And what happened? Grace came down to where Moses was at and went and touched that man that was on the backside of nowhere and what God did in his heart he said yeah I need Aaron to go with me but if you go and study your Bible he walked out there in front of Pharaoh and grace took over and when grace took over he went and said let my people go and after those ten plagues what happened he delivered the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt my friend when you're taught of grace it'll make you mighty in word and deed It'll give you a strength and a boldness that you couldn't have in and of yourself. I'm telling you, my friend, God uses people all over this country that does not have the ability in and of themselves, but the power is in the grace of God. Not only do you find this word in Acts 7, 22, you find it in Acts 22 in verse number 3. The Bible says, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus. This is um, Paul giving his testimony. A city of Sicilia, yet brought up in this city of, at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. When you look at Paul, now that this time, this was the wrong zeal. Why? Because he went about persecute the church. But here's what he studied. He studied the Old Testament. He studied the Word of God. And because he studied the Word of God, the Bible said that he had a perfect manner. And the Bible said that he had zeal in his life. I wonder why we miss the perfect manner of living the way we should. It's because we miss the grace of God. I'm telling you, the reason why things don't get put right in our life is because we don't let grace take over in our life and lead us in the directions that we all do. I'm not talking about following a bunch of rules and all those things. I'm talking about that God's done something in your heart and done something in your life. And what happens? Not only is there a boldness, but there's a zeal. There's an energy. There's something that comes up on the inside. Why? Because you're not living a According to the power of the flesh, but you're living according to the power of the grace of God working in your life that has taught you in these things. 
Can I say, I want to be taught this way. I want to be taught that I might have wisdom and might. I want to be taught that I might have the perfect manner and zeal in my life. But in 1 Corinthians 11 and 32, when he's talking about the Lord's table, making sure that we are right with God, he told him in the earlier verses that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged by others. But he said in verse number 32, and when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know what is wonderful to me? The grace of God will chasten you. The grace of God will correct you. The grace of God will tell you to get right. You know the reason why? Because the judgment hand of God is upon this world. He says, you know what? My children are not going to be like the world. And he says, hey, I'm going to keep you. I'm not putting condemnation in your life, but you're one of my children. And because you're one of my children, I'm going to make sure that you're uncondemned. Can I say, I don't want the world looking at my life and seeing my errors and my flaws. But my friend, they're there. But I have a father that by his grace and by his mercy fixes those errors and there's flaws. I'm not talking about putting it on a show. I'm not talking about covering up sin. I'm talking about getting a dose of the grace of God where God can give you the power to overcome the deficiencies in your life. And we are not judged and condemned by this world because we judge ourselves. We make sure we're right with God and we live for God. But then also in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, in the earlier verses, and I don't have time to read them for sake of time, but he talks about the proving of the ministry. The ministry is proved through this teaching and by this chastening. In 2 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, "...as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed." You know what Paul is essentially saying? He's saying, listen, we're chastened by God We're taught by God, and it proves that God is still working in this ministry. You know how to prove that God is still working in a church? That God's still purifying His church. Listen, if Calvary Baptist Church doesn't get cleaner and doesn't get more holy, it's proof they're not going with the grace of God. But if the grace of God is exercising itself in the house of God, that church will begin to look more and more like Jesus. It will begin to conform to His image. Hey, listen, He's a perfect Father, and He's not going to let His church make a mockery of His name. And if He's still working in that church, He's going to make that church a holy church. And that's what the grace of God will do in your life. This is why we want, this is the inspiration of why I would obtain and want this teaching in my life. But then you find some that were indifferent to teaching. In 1 Timothy 1, 20, the Bible says that Paul said, Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What happened was Paul had to deal with somebody, and as we talked about earlier, they had the wrong doctrine. You know what their wrong doctrine was? They denied the resurrection. They said that it was past already. Now, what does that mean? It hit me a while back of what the significance of that doctrine of denying the resurrection is all about. Here's the reality. I'm saved today, but I still have a flesh that is wicked and defiled. But I believe Jesus is coming. 
And when Jesus comes, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption and this mortal is going to put on immortality. I believe in the resurrection. And because I believe in the resurrection, I believe what is coming, I purify myself. I make sure that I'm right with God the best of my ability. Why? Because I believe Jesus is coming. This crowd says, hey, resurrection's all past. That flesh you have, that body you have, you might as well not worry about it. It's just going to do corruptly and just let it go. Can I say that's the mentality that we're living with in our day? Not taught in that direction, but that's the idea that most churches have. My friend, God has called us unto holiness, and God has called us unto righteousness. And my friend, when it is what is being preached behind the pulpit and what is being taught tends to send a congregation and sends a group of people away from the things of God, my friend Paul stood up and said, hey, I'm not letting this crowd blaspheme the name of my Lord anymore. I'm not letting them blaspheme the name of uh, the grace of God. Hey, the grace of God is our teacher, and they're going to learn something right now and that is they're not going to have their way and we're going to turn them over to Satan. What does that mean? Turn them over to Satan. You find it in regard to church discipline in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 6. Here's what is wonderful about being a part of a church. When you're a part of a church in God's church, God puts a hedge about his people. It's the most wonderful thing in all the world when God puts a hedge about his people. What happens is within that hedge, when somebody gets out of order and somebody makes a choice to sin and go against God, it was the church of Corinth was implored, said, you cannot let that person continue, if I can put it this way, in that hedge of protection because if you let them continue, God's going to have to come and judge that church. And so they would put that person out, turn them over to Satan. Now, the intention of this was for the sin that was in their life to manifest itself. We're not covering it. We're going to let it come out. If they want to get right with God, that's what our goal is. That is what our desire is. The man at the church of Corinth, get right with God. These men that are teaching false doctrine, get right with God, and we'll see what God can do in your life. But my friend, I thank God that he's got a hedge of his people, that he protects us and helps us, and it's the grace of God that God keeps his church. You realize that God's given us the order in the house of God to make sure his church stays holy, and you say, that's just so mean. No, that's teaching. No, that is um, chastisement. That is what God gave the authority of the church to do. And it's not popular in our day, but it's still in the Bible. Amen. And if it's still in the Bible, but I'm telling you, my friend, it'll teach you and help you learn of the grace of God in your life. Because God is the one that keeps us going. Thank God for it. Not only do you see the indifference that Hymenius and Alexander had to teaching, but you also see the inward struggle that this one had in 2 Timothy 2.25. The Bible says in meekness, instructing. The same word teaching, those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now here's the reality of it. And listen to me, young people that are here. When you're in the house of God, there's not enough rules that'll ever keep you straight. The only thing that'll keep you straight, yes, you ought to follow the rules, but what will keep you straight is tapping into the grace of God. That is what will make the difference in your life. 
But I'll tell you what will happen. You won't let grace be your teacher. And there'll come a day that you'll have an inward struggle, that you'll need the help of God like never before, but you won't know how to get it, and you'll be looking for help in every way that you could possibly find it. But I'm telling you what happened. You didn't let grace be your teacher a long time ago, and then what happens, you know what? You'll come back to the house of God, and there'll be a man of God, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell you the same thing that he told you way back then, and he's saying, listen, you're going to have to let the grace of God reign in your life. Hey, the truth is not going to change. The only way you're going to make it is by the grace of God. You better let the grace of God be your teacher. There'll be a day there'll be opposition. There'll be turmoil in your soul. Listen, the only thing that gives me peace in my life living for God is His grace and mercy that is continually bestowed upon me. If it wasn't for the goodness of God, I'd be in a mess. Thank God for it. But let's go quickly. I want to see number four, the intimacy of this teaching. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. In these verses, this teaching gets really close to us. In Hebrews 12, in verse number 5, the Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise, thou, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now there's several times this word chastening and chastisement is in these verses. And it's the same word as teaching in Titus 2, verse number 12, the grace of God. But can I say, he said, don't get weary of God correcting you. It's easy to get weary of correction. It's easy to get to the place where it seems like every time you go to the house of God, the preacher's dealing with another problem that's in your life. It's easy. You get in your Bible and you can't get nothing right. Every time you open the book, every day you're like, boy, I got to work on that area. Lord, I pray that you'd help me today. Oh, you got to deal with that too? Yeah, that's what the Christian life is all about. And there's chastisement that comes. And there's trouble. And I understand there's a chastisement that God can do drastic things when you're rebelling against the Lord. But I don't believe the Hebrews 12 is what that's all about. This is something that God is working something in your life. And he's saying, don't get weary of God correcting things in your life. He said, for whom the Lord loveth. <laughs> Hallelujah. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You see, I was born into the family of God many years ago. But you see, there's another thing that is called adoption. I was born again when I got saved, but at the same time, he adopted me. What was he, did he adopt? He adopted the other part that wasn't ready for being born again. And you know what happens? There's a side of me, positionally in Christ, I'm born again. But there's another side of me, I'm the red-headed stepchild that's got so many errors in my life that have got to be dealt with. Amen? And what happens? He comes and it seems like, yeah, I've been born again. I ought to have it right. But there's another side of me that's been adopted and I ain't figured out how to live according to the dictates of the Father. But you know what? 
Every time he comes and deals with my heart, he reminds me that he still loves me. He reminds me that I'm still his. And even though I may have failed again, that he's still working on me and trying to conform me to the image of his dear son. And can I say the grace of God doesn't give up on me when I make a mess of it time and time again. But the grace of God continues to help and strengthen me in the journey. He goes on to say, he says, if you, in, in verse number seven, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, if you can get by with anything in your life, listen to me. He said, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. He said, listen, if you can live your life, you can keep on doing what you're doing and God doesn't chastise you and God doesn't direct you, correct you. He said, you're not one of mine. Can I say, we ought to just stand up and shout for every whipping we've ever had in our life. Every time God tore our hind end up, thank God, thank God for it. Can I tell you, I had a daddy that tore my rear end up. And can I tell you, I'm not ashamed to call him daddy. Hey, listen, I probably love him more than any man upon the face of the earth. You know the reason why? Because he loved me more than any person on the face of the earth. Thank God, thank God. That's what chastisement does. Can I say, I know who my daddy is because I was well acquainted with his belt. Amen. Amen. Thank God for it. And thank God that God's working on us. Furthermore, we have had our fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits than live? I reverence my earthly dad tonight, but I reverence my heavenly Father. For he said, for in verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. I'm glad God put that in the Bible. There's sometimes they did it just because they wanted to. But he, for our prophet... The Lord Jesus Christ, our teacher of grace, has never chastened you except for your profit and for the benefit of, in your life. Amen. You may have received chastisement from your earthly mom and dad, and they didn't do it always for the right reason. But my God in heaven has never dealt with you and dealt with you in the wrong way. Amen. He's a faithful father. Amen. He said in verse 11, now no chastening for the present. Or let me back up. I missed it. But he for our prophet that we might be partakers of his holiness. <laughs> Hallelujah. That God can take me, that God can take you and make you holy. That blows my mind. But he says, I'll let you get on it. Thank God. He says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Amen. And he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest they which is, which, uh, lest they which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. My friend, God wants to help you, wants to touch you, and yes, there's times that grace will take you to the woodshed. But I'm telling you, 
you, my friend, if you'll endure chastening and you'll respond to grace, it will keep on working in your life and will take you to an expected end of God being glorified in your life. That's my desire. I just want God to be glorified in my life. And if he has to take me to the woodshed to get it done, so be it. I want the grace of God in my life. But let me finish up with this one, the intimacy of teaching. Go with me to Revelation 3. Revelation chapter number 3. We see the church age that we live in in verse number 14. He says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, you know these verses, no doubt, but it's the church of the Laodiceans, not the church of the Laodicea. You know what happens in these verses? This is a church where the people are running the church instead of God running the church. And that's what the average church is anymore. Thank God I ain't a part of that church. Thank God that I'm not a part of a church that's being ran by the whims of the congregants or the whims of the pastor. I'm glad I've got a great high priest. I'm glad I've got a chief shepherd that is over the house of God where I go. Thank God for it. But the truth is this church, and by and large, the church of today is ran by the whims and the decisions of the Laodiceans of the congregants. He said, right, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He explained, he described this church as being in this place of where they weren't on fire for God, but they weren't cold on God. And God said, they're right there in that middle place. If I can put it this way, God said, you're right in that place where you need a whooping, but you're not there yet. You're lukewarm. He said, I'm sick of you. He said, that, that lukewarm taste that's in my mouth, he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They think a lot of themselves. They're stuck on themselves. They live for themselves. And I contend that what the church of Laodicea did, they took the blessings and prophecy in regard to the church age of Philadelphia that was before them. The church of Philadelphia had the church of the open door. God was blessing that church. And the next church age that came along took the blessings that was coming because of the church age of Philadelphia and consumed them upon their own lust. That's just my contention. But here's what he said. He says, you don't know and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But this church is in bad shape. And this is the church right before Jesus comes. This is the church in a bad way. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I want you to be real. That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eye with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Here it is, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I believe in 2023, the church as a whole is in a mess. My friend, 
Can I say the grace of God was all the way back in the beginning of time. And here the Lord Jesus Christ at the sorriest good for nothing church there is. This church of Laodicea. He comes up to him and he says, listen, I still love you. I'm still rebuking you. I'm still desiring for you to repent. I'm chastising you. I still want to teach you of the grace of God. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me, with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Can I tell you, my friend, I believe that every church age overcame. There was a remnant that overcame of every church. He said it over and over again. And the insinuation is that they would overcome. Can I say how we're going to overcome in 2023? It'll be by the grace of God. You know how we're going to walk into the house of God and he's going to sit down and he's going to sup with us and he's going to fellowship with us in spite of all the mess that's around us. It'll be by the grace of God. If you put your confidence and your faith in anything else, I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough. But can I say the grace of God can be your teacher and it can be the great, great enough in your life to make your personal life, to make your family, to make your church everything it can be for the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, dear God, for the grace and the mercy of our Lord. May your will be done. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open. Pianist is playing. The Word of God's been preached from one end to the other tonight. Lord, help us to have the right spirit, right attitude toward the grace of God. May we not abuse it. May we not have that entitlement mentality he preached about. May we not use the grace of God as an excuse to live a life of sin and disobedience. But may we allow the grace of God to teach us to be righteous and holy and conform us to the image of His Son. May we not despise the chastening of the Lord. May we not turn a deaf ear to the teaching of the grace of God. There may be somebody here tonight, folks are praying all over the altar and God's doing a work in the hearts. You stay till you get finished. Don't get in a hurry. There may be somebody here tonight say, Pastor Shifflett, I'm not 100% sure if I died right now I'd go to heaven. I, I can't say that with confidence that I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I, I think I would. I certainly hope I would, but I can't say that I'm sure that I would go to heaven if I died. And I want you to pray for me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you be honest enough and concerned enough about your soul to just quietly slip your hand up and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm a born again, blood-bought child of God on my way to heaven I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up, anybody, anywhere? I can't remember a time that I was saved by the grace of God. I'm doubting my salvation. I'm struggling with that. And I want you to help me pray about it. Would you slip your hand up where I can see it? Anybody, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. Anybody else? I'm just not sure. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I've, I've, I've always said I was. 
I've always thought I was, but here lately, I'm not sure. Anybody? It's getting saved is so simple. I did it when I was four. There's going to be a lot of people trip over their unbelief and go to hell. Maybe you're here tonight and God's doing a work in your heart. God's trying to draw you closer. He's trying to conform you to his image. He's been doing some instructing and some teaching and some correcting and some chastening. And you really hadn't been very appreciative of it. You ought to thank God tonight that he's still working on you.